Welcome to another inspiring message from Pastor David Hall, Senior Pastor of LifePoint Church. For more information, visit our website on www.davidhall.com.au. If you have a Bible this morning, would you turn with me please to the book of Genesis and chapter 22. Genesis and chapter 2. Uh, if you don't know where Genesis is, go to the book of Revelation and get, do a hard left and keep going. And you'll come to Genesis chapter 22. And I, I really want to continue the series that I've started. I've been preaching, I started a series last Sunday called Faith It Till You Make It. Faith It Till You Make It. Look at your neighbor and say, Faith It. It doesn't mean you've got a lisp, just say, Faith It Till You Make It. Because there's some things that when we do by faith, God turns things around. And it's amazing. The Bible says, uh, let the weak say, I'm strong. Why does he say that? Does he say we should say those things to lie about where we're at? No, we're just declaring a different reality over our situation. And so, you know, if, you, if, if you're ever sick or you face a challenge, there's no, uh, there's no crime or there's no, it's not wrong before God to say, hey, I'm dealing with this storm. But at the same time, we can still say God is victorious. So I, I was just thinking, uh, and I said it last week when Pastor George was talking to me about his daughter on one of the bad days. He said, uh, the old ship's battered, but the anchor still holds. It's okay to say the ship's battered, but we've got to remember the anchor holds. And, and here's our strength in what seems impossible. And, and, and today, as we're doing a series on faith, I want to just have a look at a, a slightly different uh, look at faith. And to be honest with you, the more I have looked into this message, the more I realize I can't really scratch uh, this idea in one message, although I'm going to do my best to try. It's fairly inexhaustible, and there are a lot of different theological perspectives on what I'm about to teach. And, and, uh, and so just what I cover today is not an exhaustive picture of this principle. It's just some thoughts on this principle, because I don't want people to leave and go, hang on a minute, but what about blah, blah, blah? There, there is so much more to this. And, and so I just want to really keep it in line with the subject of, of faith, because when it comes to faith, we've got to understand that there's, there's saving faith, and there's also believing faith. So, so there's a faith that saves us, and there's also a religious faith. In other words, we are people who hold on to a faith. How many know that there's only one faith that actually works, though? And that's faith in Christ and Him crucified. But, but I want to have a look. Really, we're talking about believing faith, faith that uh, creates space for the power of God and, and sees things happen in, in our heart and in our life. And so when it comes to all areas of faith, our faith will be tested. And it's not something that uh, really, sometimes it almost seems inconsistent with faith preaching to talk about faith being tested because sometimes faith preaching, when it gets too far in the extreme, never makes room for suffering. It never makes room for tragedy. It never makes room for uh, the disappointments of life. And, and, in so, and then somehow we can actually walk in condemnation when we don't realize that although faith is a supernatural gift from God, faith isn't God and faith isn't sovereign. Let me say that again. Faith isn't God and faith isn't sovereign. However, God is married to his word. And so if he gives principles of faith for us to walk in, uh, he, he, is, he is a God that will live within the scope of, uh, of how he has presented himself to operate through his word. But faith is still not sovereign. God is sovereign and God thinks eternally. Sometimes we think in just the moment and in the eternal ramifications of life, what we want to try and uh, possess by faith may not be uh, the ultimate perfect 
plan and will of God. And so we have to understand that our faith isn't sovereign, but our faith is powerful. And while we don't win every battle, uh, we're going to lose a lot more if we don't exercise our faith. Are you you following what I'm saying today? Because I want to try and be balanced on this because, you know, I've seen people who have lost people that they love and they say, well, my faith failed. No, your faith didn't fail. God just had a plan that's outside the realm of maybe our understanding. But faith is such an important factor in our walk with God that it is proven when it's tested. Let me say this, the Bible, and this is, this is a powerful thought. It's not mine, but I didn't take the time to write down whose it was. So I'm going to pretend it's mine. The Bible never says that man is saved on account of faith. Hear me out. Man is not saved on account of faith, but he's saved through faith. It's not his faith that saves him. It's Christ and what Christ did that saves him. It's our faith that possesses it through the grace of God. Faith is the means by which the Holy Spirit uses to apply to the individual the benefits of Christ's crucifixion, resurrection, and every subsequent blessing. Faith is such an important factor, but uh, but, but a faith that cannot be tested isn't yet proven. For example, if you went for surgery and said, Doc, I'm nervous, this is my first surgery. If he turns around and says, mine too, let me tell you, you, you should... That's probably a good point to insert some worry at that point in time. I want to know that my doctor's faith has been tested. I want to know that 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 it's not their first round around the block. I mean, if I hop on an airplane, I don't want a pilot going, you know what, I'm doing this by faith. I've never done it before, but I feel an anointing for pilotry this morning. And we're going to believe that God's going to get us from A to somewhere. You will go from A to somewhere. That's a fact. Just may not be B. You can't truly trust your faith until first you've allowed God to test it. Isn't it funny, like, we can talk about faith to possess the promises of God. Everyone gets pumped. But when we start talking about faith needing to be tested, everyone gets a bit nervous. Does that mean calamity is going to come into my life? No, but it might mean it knocks on your door. And it might mean that you've got to square your shoulders and apply the word of God into that, which is impossible. So we look, and here's the thing, faith. The Bible talks about faith. Paul, when he says to Timothy, he says, fight the good fight. And faith, faith, faith's a fight. Faith takes a little bit of backbone. Faith, faith requires, you know, I was thinking uh, yesterday and I wrote it on Twitter that I get real nervous when, uh, when, when the, the enemy comes against people and they sit back and they go, oh, that's just the sovereignty of God. No, sometimes the enemy comes against us. And we've got to square our shoulders as the people of God and fight the fight of faith and declare the truth of God's word that God's going to turn things around by the power of God. But let's go to the word this morning, Genesis 22. The ultimate test of faith, I think, is this story. Uh, There might be others, so I'm calling it the ultimate test of faith. But again, there may be others, but let's have a look at this this morning. Genesis 22, verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested, somebody say tested, Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. I love that. God speaks, he wakes up early and goes. And can I say, a lot of us, we hear God speak and we um and ah, we negotiate. We, oh, maybe God, look, I, God, I won't give 50, but I'll give 25. We'll meet you halfway. But not, not him. He goes, I'm going to get up in the morning. I'm going to do what you call me to do. He took two young men with him and Isaac, his son, he split the wood for the burnt offering. Can you imagine uh, when he is uh, 
when he's chopping up that wood and putting everything into it, is basically building a weapon to kill his son. I mean, it's a, it's a crazy thing uh, to think of his obedience. Thank God, God didn't go through with it. But it goes on to say, he rose and went to a place which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. I love that. And we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac, his son. He took the fire in his hand and a knife and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father, he said, here I am, my son. And he said, look, at the, look the fire, the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And uh, I just feel like it's fairly important to point out that it was pro- apparently at this point that Isaac started smelling a rat. He knew things were not quite going the way that he had hoped they were going at that point of the day. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. They came to a place which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God. And since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering and said for his son. And Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day in the mount, and it, sorry, and it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time out of heaven. And he said, by myself, I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and not withheld your son, your only son. I know it's a lot of scripture. We're nearly done here. Blessing, I'll bless you. Multiplying, I'll multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand is on the seashore and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have known my voice. There is so much in that story that I'd love to tell you. Uh, One of the thoughts that I have that isn't really a part of this message is uh, sheep do not have the lung capacity or rams or or ewes do not have the capacity to ascend to, to that highest point. For that ram to be there, it was against the very nature of that ram to do Uh, to to be where he was. But how many know that God is supernatural and God took a ram that shouldn't have been there. And so go, and I've preached this before, but going up one side of the mountain is obedience and coming up the other side is the provision of God. And when we're obedient to God, there will always be a meeting point for our obedience and our provision. And I want to encourage you today when God says do something that's upside down, that doesn't necessarily seem like a natural response to life. We live in an upside down kingdom we talked about last week. So God's telling him to do the unusual, but how many know that when God tells you to do something, he's already got a way uh, to go forward on his mind, because that's the kind of God that we serve. Do you believe that this morning? But verse 12 gives us an insight in verse 22, and God says, for now I know that you fear God, and you have not withheld your son from me. Abram at that point passes the biggest test of faith that he's ever going to have. The Bible tells us just there, he, he obtained blessing, multiplication, Victory over his enemies, global and generational blessing. It was far beyond. We're living today as a seed of Abraham because of his obedience in that moment right there. And, and I think to myself, would I pass a test as big as that? Short answer, not really. Uh, I don't know any of us that would. If, uh, I'm sure if 
the Lord told me to go up to the mountain and kill my son, I'd have to explain that it's illegal. Uh, it's not, not, firstly, it's not ideal. And I'm a pastor. I need to have a police clearance to be able to minister to families of all ages. This would compromise everything I'm doing. I'd prefer not to kill my son. But let me, let me say this to you. Just because that's a very different time biblically, Abraham would have loved his son every bit as much as you and I love our kids. And, and God doesn't want him to maim his son. He's trying to see really the, the, the faith of Abraham is that everything that so far he's seen isn't really everything that has been uh, presented to be because this was not Abraham's first test of faith. There's other, there's other times Abraham's faith has been tested. There's probably 12 times, but today I thought I'd share five of them with you this morning. And really, I want to I call this our faith test. Because I want to have a look at the test that Abraham faced, and I want to ask a question uh, based on this test that Abraham had. Let's have a look. The first one is found in Genesis 12 and verse 1, and we'll read through to verse 7. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and to your father's house, to a land that I'll show you. I'll make you a great nation. Somebody say, Great nation. He says, I'll bless you. He says, I'll make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. And in you, all families of earth, on, of earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord spoken to him, and Lot went with him. It's very interesting that Lot went with him. God never actually told him to take Lot, and that became a problem. We'll talk about that in a minute. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai, his wife, who became Sarah, of course, Lot, his brother's son, so his nephew, all their possessions that they gathered, and the people whom they acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the Terebinth the terebinth tree of Morah. And the Canaanites were then in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants, I'll give you this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Abram leaves Ur of the Chaldees and Haran for an unknown destination at God's direction. He didn't say, you know, go here. He just said, leave where you are. And he left where he is. And, and, and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I guess this is Abraham's first test of faith. And it's a test of faith for us, which would simply be this. Do I trust God with my future? Do I trust God with my future? I, wanna, I guess I want to ask that question of you today. I'm asking it of me. I'm asking it of every, every person. Do we trust God with our tomorrow? It's so easy to try and have tomorrow all stitched up with our own control and with our own planning, with our own scheming. And I've, I've come across a lot of good people in, in a lot of good places who have lived in a space where we really do sort of have a, a, a sense of wanting to control things and hold on to things. But we serve a God who is committed and as committed and as interested in our future as we are ourselves. And I guess today, if we're going to have a look at this test of faith. Can we trust God with our future? Can you trust God with your future? I, I came across a, a story of, of, of an animal called the African Impala. The African Impala can jump from the ground to a height of 10 feet and cover a distance of greater than 30 feet. Yet these animals can be kept in an enclosure in any zoo with a three-foot wall because the animals will not jump if they cannot see where their feet will fall. Isn't that amazing? That some of us, we don't take a jump. We don't take a step of faith. We won't take a risk because we haven't quite 
figured out whether God's got us covered on the other side. But, God, but God's saying, hey, have a go. I'm going to take you out of what's comfortable. When's the last time you listened to God and actually went uh, to the great unknown, the place where feet may fail? I, I, that, that place where you're not 100% confident, is God going to come through? I, I can tell you right now, uh, I, I've served God a long time, and a lot of times I've just done things my own way, and, and I've seen God do some good things. But every time I've just done what God says when he says, do this, and I'm going, but I don't know how it's going to go. Do it. I don't know how it's going to go. Give it a crack. I don't know. But let me tell you something. I, I can tell you right now, there's never been a time where I've taken a spirit-led risk where I haven't seen God come through and blow my mind. Why? Because God, for some reason, I don't know if he's just got a, uh, there's just a, a, a slightly uh, offbeat thing within God that says, hey, man, there's nothing more exciting than watching uh, my people uh, depend on me for everything. And because when, when they do that, I can bless them because they know it wasn't them. It was him. Am I too excited for this early in the morning? I've had a coffee. I mean, I, I, I'm perked up, ready to go. Do you know why? Because I, I pray that this church would be a church that knows how to take a jump and take a risk. Where, where maybe, maybe that'll mean telling somebody about Jesus. Well, what if they reject me? Well, they rejected Jesus. You're in good company. Faith is the ability to trust what we cannot see. Let's have a look. Number two. So can we trust God with our future? Number two, Genesis 13. We see the story. Lot and Abraham have traveled south from the land of Egypt and Sarah and uh, their band of people with them. And in verse 5, it, it starts to tell us uh, that the, the land didn't have the capacity to uh, bring provision uh, into their world. And it says, Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together. Verse 6, For their possessions were so great that the city uh, could not dwell together. And there was strife. Verse 7. Verse 8, Abram says to Lot, Please let there be no strife with you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen. For we are brethren. I love that. That's a very Christian spirit. That's a very Christian spirit. That's, that's faith right there. There's faith. That might not seem like faith, but that's faith. Willing to separate, but honor one another. Love one another. Show unity and kindness to one another. Sometimes we think faith is jumping. We think faith is walking water. Sometimes it's actually showing a good spirit when you're hurting. It's showing kindness when you feel like someone stabbed you. you know, are, are, you follow, are you following what I'm saying? And so he says uh, in verse Nine, is not the whole land before you. Please separate from me. If you take the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot lifts his eyes, saw all the plain of Jordan. It was well watered there, like the garden of the Lord. And so he says, I'll, I'll take that. Verse 11. Abraham unselfishly separates from Lot and settled for inferior living conditions. Here's a question. Number two. Do I trust God with my interests? Do I trust God with my affairs? Do I trust God, even when it might seem to be an unfair settlement? This might sound really like an odd thing to say when we're talking about faith, but I believe selflessness is an incredible act of faith. Because when we are selfless, and I'm not saying we just deliberately pick garbage every time, especially those that have a wife and a family. We've got to provide and we've got to believe God for his blessing and provision. But I'm talking about in, in this passage, he's willing to say, you know what, I'm going to forego everything I want. But he also knew that God was going to take him to land. He already had seen the hand of God work in his life. And so he simply says, well, you take what you need. If that's what you need, no worries. And I'll trust God. We don't hear 
too much of Lot's success. We don't, we don't say the God of Abraham, Lot, Isaac and Jacob. Lot from that point, he got, he got, he got the stuff he wanted at that point. That's really, really as far as Lot went. I mean, he wasn't an evil man, but we don't ever see him as a man of faith because he went for what his eyes could see. Abraham knew that really he was possessing a land whose builder and maker was God. And uh, I think it's a powerful thing to be selfless. As a pastor, uh, this is not something I really have ever talked about in church, but I believe that as a pastor and especially as our staff, we're quite connected with a lot of Christians and a lot of church people in other places. I believe it takes faith to be ethical. When you're a leader and you're a shepherd, you're a pastor, it's so tempting to get around and wine and dine other people's people to try and draw them into what you're trying to build. But the minute I do that, I step out of God building his church. When I have young pastors or staff on, on teams in churches around the city and they ring me at a vulnerable hurt place, it would be so easy for me to say, yeah, I agree. You need to get out of there. Come with us. We'll take care of you. It'd be so easy to do that. And those whispers get in your ear. And can I tell you, if you listen to those whispers, you step out of faith. And you start doing it yourself. Do I trust God with my affairs? Do we trust God with the affairs of this church? Or do we have to use man-made plans to possess the promises of God? No, they're the promises of God. He says, I will build my church. And so our responsibility is to be faithful and labor here and watch God bring the increase and, and, and do what God's calling us to do. Maybe some of this isn't profound to all of you, but I pray some of you really hear this. Because, you know, some people, they tithe faithful, faithfully, but they lie on their tax returns and wonder why God doesn't bless them. Tithing doesn't work, but we continue to lie on our tax return. Why? Because we don't trust God with our affairs. I, I think integrity takes a lot of faith. I think it takes faith to be a person of integrity. It takes faith to be a person of your word. It takes faith to be a person that, that lives up to uh, everything we'd like people to think we are in terms of our character and our integrity. And I, I've seen the opposite. And I've seen uh, where Christians try to just do it all in their own strength. And it never goes anywhere. It equals burnout. It equals discouragement. It equals bruised and battered people. And I pray that as a church, from every level of leadership, from the least to the most, we would be a church who walk in integrity and we walk in ethics. There's not a pastor in this city that I couldn't look in the eye because I know I haven't bruised them to try and advance what God's doing here. I can walk, you know, and it's a, it's a wonderful feeling to go to an Assemblies of God pastors meeting and not have to hide from people because you've been flogging their people, stealing their sheep. I tell you, if, that, if that's how you have to build a church, you, you, you won't have a future. Number three. The Bible talks about Genesis 14, uh, about, about a king who really, uh, the Bible really was a, a, a Christophany in Scripture where Christ appeared in Scripture. And, and it says, then Melchizedek, because Hebrews clarifies it, the king of Salem brought out bread and wine, Genesis 14, 18. He was a priest of the Most High, and he blessed him and said, blessed be Abraham of God, Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God, Most High, who has delivered your enemies in your hand. And this is what Abraham did. He brought him a tithe of all. And then the king of Sodom, Sodom, the king of Sodom, firstly, not a great name. He was the king of Sodom. Sodom and Gomorrah had some controversy. 
you don't get postcards these days. They had a great holiday in Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, God got rid of Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, when are we going to go? We'll go Gomorrah. It's going to be fantastic. He, said, he says, I've raised my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven, heaven and earth. Abram, when the king of Sodom is trying to bless him, he says, I'll take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap and I'll not take anything that's yours lest you should say I've made Abraham rich. In other words, he was very happy to let people know that it was God who brings blessing and provision and he wouldn't take it uh, from a carnal place. And so I look at this passage and I think uh, Abram gave a tithe of, of his spoils to a godly king, a picture of Christ, and refused to take the gifts and the things of the world. And so we have a look at this and and we could do a whole message on tithing and giving and we'll do that on another day. But here, I guess my question would be, uh, and beyond our giving, do we trust God with our provision? Do we have to take it from ungodly places uh, to, to be people of faith? It's a great test of faith to say, God, I trust you with my provision, with my blessing, with, with, with what's coming into our life. I, I do believe that as Christians, we, we still have to recognize that God is Jehovah Jireh, our provider, and we can trust him to make a way where there is no way. We can trust him to bring supply and blessing into our heart and into our life. And that's a question I'd ask you to ask yourself today. Do I trust God with my, with my provision? He says in Deuteronomy, it's actually I that gives you power to make wealth. Everything that we get, we might say, well, I worked for it. I'm the one that went to Coles and did night fill. I'm the one that toiled all day, toiled all week, 40 hours for my provision. Just remember that it was him that gave you the ability to do that job, to bring blessing into your world. And and, uh, and I want to encourage us as the people of God and as a household of faith, let's trust God with our provision. As a church, We've got to trust God with our provision and believe that God is going to bless us and bring his favor into our life. Number four, Genesis 15, verse one, it says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and exceedingly great reward. Verse two, but Abram said, Lord, what will you give me seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is the Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abram said, Look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, sorry, and behold, I'll just keep reading. The word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward the heavens. Count the stars. If you're able to number them, he said, so shall your descendants be. He believed the Lord and he accounted to him for righteousness. The test really was... God promises that he'll have a son. He wouldn't have that son until he was 90. 99. His wife, 90. My grandma went to be with the Lord at 99. If she had said to me at 90, she rings the family, Dave, we, we've got to have a family meeting. What's going on, Nan? Come over, we're going to talk. My dad's there, my sisters are there, Dad, Nan sits down. I've met someone. I said, and how's it going? Well, been a bit of a surprise. There's a, let's just say uh, nine months from now, you're going to have an uncle, David. <laughs> Firstly, I'd need deliverance to get the visual out of my mind. <laughs> Secondly, it would be biologically impossible. 
Thirdly, Nan would have to step out of any serving in church for two years for moral failure. But that's not... Abraham and Sarah, they're the same age. Things that should be working were not working. It took a miracle for seed to enter a dead womb and for life to begin. Can I tell you, the Bible says that Abraham laughed when he heard about that. Sarah laughed when they heard about that. To such a point that God had to change their name. So they got it in their head. It took them 25 years for it to happen, but it happened. I guess my question today is, do we believe that God can do the impossible? Do you still believe that God can do the impossible? When I get a phone call from Perth telling me that the doctors have said things have changed and her doctor says this is a miracle from God and that she, she's had a total miracle in her liver and, and the spirit of death that was trying to, pull her into the grave, got its nasty hands of death broken by the confession and the power of God. And Come on, somebody, just help me preach a little. I'm telling you, I still believe that God can do the impossible. I still believe that Adelaide can come to Christ. I, I still believe that your families can be born again and shall be saved. I still believe that God heals people. I believe that we can still cast out demons. I, I still believe that God calls those things that be not as though they are. And maybe you're here this morning and you think, oh, I don't know how it's going to happen. I guess my question Maybe if you're living in a space where you need a miracle from God, that's a great chance for you to say, you know something, I need to think about what I believe. Maybe this is a test of my faith. Do I believe that God can do the impossible? I tell you, we serve a God who, who is the God of the impossible. He says, with God, all things are possible. I, I love that father in the, in the, in the word who, whose son was uh, in the New Testament, in the Gospels. He, his son uh, had a demon spirit and his father said, Jesus, would you help my unbelief? I believe there's a difference between doubt and unbelief. The unbelief is just a space where we're not yet believing. doesn't necessarily mean we believe the opposite. So if we've got unbelief, let's say, God, can you help my unbelief? Help me grow into a place of believing and, and knowing that you can do the impossible. Oh, I feel like dancing just a little bit. Jess McMullen, why don't you come? Number five, and I'll, I'll, I'll close quickly. And we won't even read the, read the final text, but Genesis 15, if you want to read, read later, it says, it tells us really that it was... A long, long, long period between the promise and possessing the promise. 25 years. The promise to go and find a land, to go and move into a land that God had called him, and for that to actually eventuate took 25 years of living in the wilderness, of not knowing which way is for, of having, having your nephew rob you of your opportunity to, be in a nice space and you feel like you had a setback. You feel like the promises of God aren't coming apart like they should. And then we read right here that, uh, that Abraham still by faith possessed the promises of God. And I guess my final question in this test of faith, do I have faith while I'm waiting? It's easy to have faith when it just comes. What if it takes 25 years? Things don't, what if, what if it takes? We, see, for me, if Donna doesn't cook dinner one night or I don't cook dinner one night, and I cook dinner a lot, by the way. It's always the same dinner. It's the barbecue and one of those Asian salads from Woolies. I mix them together and they've got those crunchy. They're better than any salad that any of us could actually make. They're glorious. So, but if I'm just left to my own devices, I'll just go down to... 
I'll go down to Woolies and get one of those McCain meals. Stick it in the microwave for about four, four or five minutes. If it takes any longer than that, it's too long. Donna rings up. Are you looking after yourself? I'm like, I am. I am looking after myself. Well, no worries. It's a tough crowd. I like my food quick. I like stuff quick. You know, we're in life. Everything's instant. I mean, there used to be a time where if there was a dispute about some fact, you'd have to go to the Funkin' Wagnalls Encyclopedia at your auntie's place and sit there and find which volume it could be in, open it up. Now, let me tell you this. Uh, now, straight on Google on your smartphone, in other words, things happen fast. But God isn't really too moved by the technological advances of life that we're conditioned to. His, his time and chance, and is, they're in his hands. It happens in his timing and... I'm here to tell you today that I believe that the God of Genesis that maybe kept Abraham waiting a little while to see his faith tested may actually take some time to deliver on his promises. And I guess my question today is, do we trust God? When we have to wait, do we trust God? I want to encourage you. Let's trust him while we're waiting and say, God, you're everything. You're everything. Uh, I'm going to close. That's the end of my message. So if you could take notes.